Hi, I'm Howard Tierski. Welcome to the Winning Digital Customers Podcast, where we focus on the stories of large-scale digital transformations told by the people who lead them. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to the Winning Digital Customers Podcast. I'm Howard Tierski, and today we have the first of our one-on-one episodes in the podcast. So I'm excited about this. In these one-on-one episodes, I'm going to be sharing with you thoughts on a key topic. And we have a really great one today. Many of our episodes, you have a guest in these one-on-one episodes, no guest, just me, but I'm going to be going through with you some key topics, presentations, or materials that I often share with my million-dollar consulting clients, or in some cases may have shared on my live cast or somewhere else that I also think you should be aware of. So the one we're going to talk about today is such a critical one. It's how can your brand really take a stand in the marketplace. In other words, how do you get a brand to really stand for something? In today's very cynical age, consumers don't believe much that brands say about themselves. So if you really want your brand to mean something, it's probably not going to be enough to just come up with a slogan or a tagline. And that's true whether you're trying to get it to mean something to your customers or to your employees or to your stakeholders, shareholders, and anybody really. And one of the things that you may have observed is that very often the brands that are worth the most in the marketplace, the brands that are most loved by customers, really do stand for something. And let me clarify what I mean when I say that a brand should stand for something. One of the things I talk about in my book, Winning Digital Customers, is the recipe for achieving customer love. And what is that recipe? There's three levels to it. To achieve or inspire the love of your customers, what I found through many, many years of working with huge brands is, first, you have to consistently and reliably meet their needs. That's not enough to inspire their love, but if you're not doing that, consider that the base of the pyramid. If you're not meeting their needs in whatever domain your brand is focused on, whether it's you're a gas station, you're a plumber, you're an accountant, whatever, if you're not meeting their needs, you're not going to inspire their love no matter what else you do. But it's not enough. I'm sure there are many brands in your life that they give you what you need. Like take your local gas station, right? Pull up. They probably reliably put gas in your car or you put it in the car yourself, but the gas is there when you need it. And that might not inspire you to love them. It might cause you to come back for repeat business but not give you that emotional connection. So then there's a second level. What's the second level? The second level is to occasionally do something that delights the customer. In other words, that goes above and beyond their expectations. But what I really want to talk about today is the third level, because even when you occasionally delight a customer, you occasionally do something extra, it makes them like you more, but it doesn't usually inspire that true kind of wholehearted love that people have for the most loved brands like an Apple or a Nike or a Ben and Jerry's or a Whole Foods or an Amazon or a Haagen-Dazs or a Chick-fil-A, et cetera. But the third ingredient in the recipe isn't something you do for your customers like the first two. It's something that shows what you stand for as a company. So to be clear, standing for something doesn't mean we stand for having gas available when you need it. It's something that goes beyond that. It's something spiritual. It's something meaningful. It's something that exceeds 
the simple purpose of being in business to make money and provide goods and services to customers. So let's take an example of Nike. When Nike took a stand a few years ago to support Colin Kaepernick and the Black Lives Matter movement, that was something that had nothing to do, of course, with the quality of their shoes or the design of their apparel. It was something that went beyond that. It was a stand. It was a value that they were representing to the world that they cared about. And by the way, they got a lot of flack for that. Right after they did that, their stock price plummeted. And there were a number of people that said, I can't believe Nike did that. I'm never going to buy Nike products again. But there were also a lot of people who said, wow, I'm appreciative, impressed, and moved that Nike would take that stand even more so because it caused them to lose some customers. And there were other customers that massively increased their love and appreciation and support for the brand of Nike. And by the way, if you look fast forward, the overall sales impact for Nike was a massive positive. Despite the fact that they lost some customers, the customers that they didn't lose became, or at least a segment of them became so much more committed to the Nike brand that their net sales increased substantially. Now, another example in another part of the political spectrum would be Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is a brand that has taken very right-wing social stances on things like being against gay marriage, and that has also profited them. Clearly, again, there are people, and frankly, I'm one of them, who doesn't go to Chick-fil-A because of our disagreement with what they stand for. Because, of course, when you stand for something as a company, it doesn't necessarily appeal to everybody. But the people that that social stance did appeal to caused them to rise above just being another you know, fast food restaurant that sells chicken sandwiches, and it's been a massive positive for their business. So you can see that in kind of a political realm, but let's just look beyond that because I don't want you to think that a brand standing for something has to be a kind of a political point of view. I would argue that the brand Apple really stands for something, and it's not a political statement. Apple stands for empowering creative people. They stand for enabling you to be your best and to provide you with cool things that amplify who you are as a person. That is a value which transcends simply being a you know, computer company or a phone company. I don't think most people feel that same kind of emotional, inspirational quality from most other, for example, phone makers like a Dell computer or a Samsung. We just don't get that same spiritual connection. Another example would be Haagen-Dazs, a brand that stands for just the joy of indulgence. Again, a value, something that transcends just the product and doesn't necessarily obviously have any political stance. But you know, the truth of the matter is, there are many, many brands that don't really stand for much of anything. Citibank, United Healthcare, Macy's. You know, these are brands that many people do business with. They may have a product that you want, but they don't have the same kind of spiritual attractiveness to an audience that the brands that I mentioned earlier do, because they don't really, at least as experienced by their customers, they don't really stand for something. And I would argue that that missing component is a missing ingredient if they're looking to inspire customer love, if that's their goal. And I would also argue, by the way, that that should be every business's goal because those businesses that do inspire customer love, and we've done many studies on this, and there's data in my book and other places about it and other content that I've created, we see a, a strong parallel to all of the positive business KPIs that most businesses care about, right? Growth and increased revenue, increased profitability, increased customer loyalty, increased positive word of mouth. All of these things occur when you inspire that emotional love from your customers. So it's something that businesses really should seek as a significant priority. And so 
uh, what I want to talk about today then with that tee up, that's what we're talking about, a, a brand standing for something. And Winning digital customers, the antidote to irrelevance has been called the must-have guide to saving your company and is available now for Kindle, Nook, and Apple Books or in hardcover. Visit wdc.ht slash order to get your copy today. And, you know, I think there are a lot of brands that would argue that they believe they stand for something, but it might be something nobody knows about, you know, <laughs> meaning at some point somewhere in the organization, they created a mission statement or they decided something beyond just serving their customers that was important to them. Or maybe there's even genuinely something that a portion of their employees are focused on and care about, but it's just not something that the world sees. It may exist but it doesn't exist in terms of its impact on customer love because unlike the brands that I mentioned earlier, they haven't successfully gotten that belief that they stand for that thing embedded in their market and their audience, and therefore it's not having an impact. So today, what I want to offer you are what I call the seven Ps. And the seven Ps are seven different ways once you've determined what you want to stand for as a company not just a mission statement, but what the core value is that you want to be known for, whether it's empowering women or whether it's someone like a Tom Shoes helping people in Africa and other places who, don't, who are poor, helping them have shoes and improve their conditions and improve their health and improve their lives through, through providing them apparel, or whether it's something like an apple, whether it's a spiritual idea that's more about how you're going to serve the world. But that idea of once you've know for your company, what you think that is, what I want to talk about is, so what do you do with it? How do you go from something that you've identified to something that is really impacting the customers and their perception of you? But as an aside, you may wonder, well, how do I know what that is? Many companies are challenged by the fact that they're a giant company and they don't really have a, a clear value system that would qualify as something to stand for. And they need to figure out what that is before you can apply these seven Ps that I'm going to talk about. What steps to go through to figure out what is it that you really should be standing for as a company. But for now, I'm going to talk about what to do once you've identified that. You say, we know what we want to stand for. Let's figure out what we need to do to actually get it out into the world. So the seven Ps, let's go through that. The first P is perhaps the most obvious, which is positioning. Positioning is basically simply telling the world what you stand for. Whole Foods, for example, tells people that they're America's healthiest grocery store. In their marketing, they often say and show and talk about their high standards, how they have organic products, things like that. So that's telling the world what you stand for. Now, there's a pro to positioning and there's a downside. The downside of positioning is that people probably are not going to believe you because the market today, consumers today, tend to be very cynical about what brands say about themselves. Take, for example, there's one airline that likes to tell people that they are the friendly skies, fly the friendly skies. They are the friendly airline. I'm sure that many of you have heard that phrase, fly the friendly skies, probably thousands of times in your life. Now, how many of you believe that because you've been told that, that that airline is any friendlier than any other airline. I'm going to suggest that for most people, it just goes right by them. And the fact that they tell you that they're friendly skies doesn't necessarily make you believe that they hold that value of caring about their customers and being friendly to their customers. So that's the downside of positioning is you can spend time and energy and money on it, 
and people may just not believe. The upside of positioning is, is it defines a claim. Positioning is not a belief that you can impart. Positioning is a claim that you make. And you can expect most people to be skeptical of your claim, but at least they may remember that you made that claim. And what that means is then as we go through the other P's, as they engage with your brand, they may be on the lookout for that. They may say, all right, you claim you're the friendly skies. Fine. As I go through my experience with you, I'm going to be looking for that, which of course can be a plus and a minus. If as we go through the other P's, you're doing other things to really live that brand, then you've put a magnifying glass on it by telling people to keep an eye out for it. Of course, if, as United Airlines did, you do things like forcibly evict people off your airplanes, then you've just told people to keep an eye out for the fact that you're the friendly skies and they got all kinds of ironic headlines about being the friendly skies when they started dragging people off their airplanes because they were being bumped from the flight to make room for another passenger. So it's important once you make that claim that you've done other things to back it up or else it can backfire on you. And it proves not only that you're not the thing that you claimed you were, but that you're just another big corporation that's essentially lying. So you don't want that. But let's go through some of the other P's. The second P is product. And I think this is one of the most important P's. Product simply means what is the experience you give your customer when they engage with you? So let's take Walt Disney World. If you go and spend a day in Walt Disney World, you're quite probably going to have a fantastic experience. Of course, depends what you like. And you're certainly going to get a sense of the values of that company, what they care about. There's a strong sort of sense of family values, cleanliness, wholesomeness. There's something about the Disney brand that transcends just being a theme park or transcends just being a company that makes movies. That sense of standing for something is what we're trying to help you get your company towards. So if you experience the Walt Disney product, you can get a sense of that. And so let's go back to our airline example. If you've ever flown Southwest Airlines, you know that they are super friendly. <laughs> you know, sometimes they give you high fives when you get on the flight, maybe not now during COVID. They tell jokes over the PA system. Despite it being a very low cost airline, Southwest has trained their employees and or hired employees that live a value of fun and friendly travel. Ironically, they don't have a tagline like that, right? United has says they're the friendly skies. But if you ask somebody, name an airline that seems really friendly and fun, many more people will name Southwest Airlines because that's what they're living in their product. That's the value they're expressing through your product. So you can see how much more powerful that is as a the second P product than in the first P position. You've got one airline claiming they're friendly, another airline actually being friendly. So that's the second P. So let's move on to the third P. The third P is passion. And the key to passion is passion has to be expressed by a person or people. Many of the brands that people have a strong connection to, they have some kind of an individual person whose passion in the mission of that company is known and understood and felt. Look at something like Elon Musk and Tesla, right? We know Tesla. We know what Tesla stands for. They're certainly living their values through their product. But in addition, they have this very eccentric you know, founder, creator, owner, spokesperson in the form of Elon Musk that's an inspiring figure to many people. Or Amazon have Jeff Bezos. 
or Apple, of course, has Steve Jobs. And that raises an important point that Steve Jobs isn't even there anymore. Steve Jobs, sadly, has passed away. But still, the spirit of that passion of Steve Jobs is still an important part of the Apple brand. And I mean, you could go one step farther and say that's true of Disney. Walt Disney and the story of Walt Disney and the passion of Walt Disney is an idea that's kept alive, even though Walt Disney himself has passed away many, many decades ago. And by the way, it's no accident that people still know about Walt Disney, even though he's passed away, and many other companies, you know, founders who've passed away 40 plus years ago are no longer thought about. It's because Disney is smart about keeping the memory and the spirit of Walt Disney alive as an important part of their brand, because that passion that he had is a key part of making people believe that the brand is real. Because, you know, as I said earlier, people are cynical about companies. But when they can feel that genuine, sincere passion from a human being and what they care about, then that is a powerful tool to make that value, that thing you stand for, real in the hearts and minds of your customers and not just a kind of a platitude or a tagline. Not every company has a person that they can use that way. Sometimes it's a spokesperson. Sometimes it's someone they use in commercials. You know, Farmers Insurance now has these commercials with an actor. But that actor has embodied the brand so much that I think people feel his passion for what Farmers stands for. And I'm not going to suggest that Farmers has made it all the way up to being a loved brand, but they're moving in the right direction by having a character. So your passion can come from a real founder or a real CEO or a real executive. It can sometimes even come from you know, a character if that character feels genuine and passionate. So we're on to number three. The third P is people. Now, this seems perhaps like it connects to what I said earlier about passion and how passion needs to come from a person. But when we talk about the passion behind the brand, we're usually talking about the leader. We're talking about someone who really represents the brand overall. But another way that people can really get a sense of the reality, the truth of your brand is through their interactions with the people that they experience on a daily basis. You could argue that what I said earlier about the product component of Southwest Airlines also goes to the people, the feeling you get when you interact with them. A brand that has a very, very uh, powerful level of customer appreciation or possibly love is UPS. And one of the reasons, if you ask people why they love the UPS brand so much, it's because of their UPS delivery person, the person they've gotten to know, the person that may have been delivering packages to their house for years or even decades. And I'm not really sure how they do it, if it's through training or hiring or just their general culture, but those drivers, they have a friendliness, a caring, a commitment that comes through in the interactions of every single one of those people, or if not every single one, enough of them that it has an aggregate effect. So that's the fourth P, is the way that all of your people are living that brand value every day. You know, If I go into Whole Foods, is the person in the fruit department that I talk to really seem like they care about organic food and healthy food and making sure I'm living a healthy lifestyle and that my family is healthy? Or do they just seem like people who are there to, you know, price and wash the fruit, that kind of thing. Are they really living that, that brand value? The next P, number five, is policies. The rules and regulations that you use to operate your company, particularly those policies that impact customers directly. So a few small examples. Amazon's value, and I think Amazon is a brand that people do tend to love, and their value is the customer experience and making sure that they are giving you absolutely the most positive and most convenient customer experience. And clearly that's been a huge differentiator for them. Can't get enough of of winning digital customers? You can find even more content and video versions of the podcast episodes on our YouTube channel. 
visit wdc.ht slash YouTube to subscribe. So one of the areas in which Amazon has really excelled is in returns. If you buy something from Amazon and you don't want it, you don't like it, whatever, and you want to send it back to Amazon. Now, many brands, you know, you could understand the motivation for a brand to try to discourage returns, to not necessarily spend money to make it as easy as possible to return something, because after all, they're going to have to give you money back. They're spending money on a return process, the end result of which is that they are giving you your money back. And probably getting a product, you know, getting the merchandise back in used form that they can't even resell it for the full value. So returns are a loser for retailers from a pure kind of profit and loss perspective if you just look at the individual return transaction. But what Amazon realizes that People feeling good about the ease of returning was an important part of their overall brand promise and the values that they stood for. And so first of all, Amazon has always made it really easy to return something to Amazon, probably experienced that, you know, sort of no questions asked. You can print a label out, slap it on the, the, the product, bring it back to the wherever you want to mail it from, or they'll come pick it up from you for just a small fee and have UPS or whoever show up at your door and pick up the return. What they've been doing lately is they credit you for the return as soon as they pick it up. They don't even wait to get it. It's like they trust you. They want you to have your money back as quickly as possible. And now if there's a Kohl's clothing retailer near you, many of them have kiosks where you can just bring your thing into the Kohl's store without even the box. You could just bring them the thing and like hand it to the person in the Amazon kiosk at the Kohl's store and they'll just take it from you and they don't charge you for the shipping or anything. So these are all policies, right? These are all choices that Amazon has made to make sure that the way they run their company is consistent with their brand and not necessarily consistent with their immediate bottom line with respect to that individual transaction. Although I certainly think that it's beneficial to their bottom line in the, in the grand scheme. So that was number five. And we're rounding the corner into our final two P's for how you live your brand, how you convey those brand values through the way that your customers experience your brand. You can see there's a lot of them, right? And by the way, you don't have to use all of these. It's super powerful if you use all seven of these. But if you're using three, four of them, that may be enough. Or it may be that you use them all a little, but there's a few that you lean most heavily on. I think that can be successful too. This gives you a broad palette of things to focus on. Number six is problems. You know, they say like sometimes the real character of a person is revealed during a crisis. When something bad is occurring, it's kind of easy for people to be nice to each other when everything's going great. But when there's a problem, who is it that steps up? Who is it that you know helps other people? And who is it that just looks out for themselves? And when you are as a customer, for example, are having a problem and you go to the, to the brand, to the company, to the customer service people or whatever, is the way they respond consistent with the brand value? Or is that the time when the veneer cracks and you see what they're really made of? So problems are an opportunity, you know, Ritz Carlton, for example, their kind of overriding value is to make sure that among, at all costs, the guests needs are fully met all the time, kind of going overboard to make sure that customers have everything that they need to have the absolute fantastic luxury stay experience. And that's one of the reasons why they make sure that every associate, all their people behind the front desk are empowered that if they need to spend money, if they need to take their credit card out and spend $500 to order something or do something to satisfy something that's wrong with for that guest, they are empowered to do that right away to make sure that those problems can be solved quickly, even if it means the company's losing money, because it's a way of demonstrating that when those problems occur, we stand behind what we say we stand for. When bad things happen, that's when people get to see what you're really made of. And it's, by the way, a fantastic opportunity 
to show your sincerity. Because again, as I said, people know, people instinctively know that it's easy to represent a value when times are easy. But the values that you really hold dear are those that you stick to even when it's not convenient. And of course, uh, COVID has created problems on a global scale for so many businesses, not just for one individual customer. And I heard from many people, for example, that Delta Airlines offered full refunds on tickets, even if they were non-refundable tickets. Many other airlines didn't quite do that. They gave you a credit or they allowed you to rebook. But Delta said, hey, listen, you know, if you booked a flight and now you can't fly because of COVID, we're just going to give you your money back. But if you're willing to take a credit, that would really help us out. That's what Delta Airlines said to their customers. And I've talked to so many Delta Airlines loyal flyers who made that choice, who said, you know, Delta offered me my money back, but gosh, you know, I love them so much. I appreciate Delta so much that I had them give me a credit because I knew they needed the cash. I knew times were hard. And, you know, just think about that, right? That's love, right? That's when a customer is willing to say, I care about you. I don't just care about what you can do for me. That was one, one of no doubt many examples of how Delta was sort of living their values in dealing with this problem, even though, again, it was certainly not to their benefit to offer these full refunds and it wasn't something that they had to do. And lastly, I want to talk about number seven. And number seven, I sort of started and ended with perhaps the two most obvious ways that companies live their values. But I really wanted to make sure you got those middle five because it's not exclusively limited. The first one we talked about, you remember, is positioning. That's telling people what you stand for. And as I said, you know, it's valuable as a way of creating a claim, but not necessarily something people will believe unless you do some of these other things or multiple of these other things that I've been talking about. Number seven is the last P, philanthropy. Doesn't sound like it starts with a P, but it is spelled with a P, so it still counts. And it's not an F. You know, of course, there's many examples. Salesforce.com gives a certain percentage of all their revenue to charity and a certain percentage of all their licenses to not-for-profits. Companies like Tom's Shoes, and there are many other examples of that, make a big part of their brand, letting customers know that they give either product or money or other things to help with whatever area of good in the world that they're focused on doing. You know, I think that philanthropy is a wonderful thing. I think that most big companies have some degree of philanthropy, and in many cases, it is absolutely the right thing to do, but I don't know that it has a big impact on their relationship with their customers unless they're doing it in a really, really big way and communicating about it really, really effectively. You know, I'll go back to United Airlines, by the way. They're doing a good job, I think, of communicating the role that they're playing in delivering vaccines around coronavirus. And I don't know if they're being paid for it or not or what the deal is, but they're demonstrating, you know, the good that they're doing, the active things that they're doing as a company to help people. And I've seen that before. I, I think I recall they were involved in like rescue missions to Haiti and delivering supplies when they had the, the hurricanes there and things like that. These are all good things to do. Again, I would be hesitant to suggest to you that if you just do some positioning and you do some philanthropy, It'll look like you stand for something. And, and I would lastly just close with this thought, which is um, I've talked about the seven Ps, seven ways to stand for something. And I want to encourage you, though, to make sure that they're aligned because you could have some philanthropy that's doing good in the world and you could have a positive positioning and you could be training your employees to do something good, but they could all be kind of different. And you get the maximum power. People really feel what you stand for something, not just when you're doing good in all these areas. But where it seems like there's something specific that you're really all about. I don't know what kind of philanthropy Apple's involved in, but I would hope that if they're involved in philanthropy, it's not feeding children in poor countries. Believe me, nothing against feeding children in poor countries, but it'd be wonderful if they're doing that. But I don't think it will help this topic we're talking about here versus if they're you know, providing technology for schools in poor countries or helping artists in certain countries that are underprivileged learn digital tools so they can express themselves and contribute to the world. You know, 
doing something that aligns with that broader value that they want to be seen as standing for. If they also want to give money to other good causes, that's fantastic. But I don't think it'll have an impact on this. I don't think it will necessarily help them be seen as standing for something because, and I guess I'll just end on this thought, that's what we're talking about here. How to be seen as standing for something, not how to be seen as standing for everything or everything good or a whole bunch of things. If you stand for one key idea, that's going to give you the greatest power and impact in terms of the goal of inspiring customer love. So hopefully this was helpful and useful for you. Thanks so much for listening today, talking about the seven Ps and how your brand can stand for something. Thanks so much for listening. And I look forward to seeing you next time on another episode of Winning Digital Customers, the podcast. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Winning Digital Customers, the podcast. Find more great episodes at wdcpodcast.captivate.fm on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, or wherever you listen. And visit winningdigitalcustomers.com to learn more about the Wall Street Journal bestselling book that inspired the podcast.